You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hacking and more claims of hacking surround the unrest in Minnesota. A data breach attack at Amtrak guess rewards. More companies are found port scanning. For cybersecurity lessons from the pandemic, David DeFore from WebRoot with an overview of online scams his team is tracking during COVID-19. Our own Rick Howard compares resiliency with business continuity. And a new 5G device is not only holographic, but quantum oscillating too. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, June 1st, 2020. Minnesota's Chief Information Officer Tarek Thomas said yesterday that the State Security Operations Center is defending against distributed denial-of-service cyber attacks aimed at overloading state information systems and networks to tip them offline, the Twin Cities Pioneer Press reports. He added that the state had succeeded in preventing disruption of operations. There have been many claims that the attacks represent an operation by Anonymous designed to punish Minnesota for the death of George Floyd in police custody, a death that's provoked widespread protest and rioting. Many of the reports in social media claim that Anonymous is releasing email addresses and passwords from the Minneapolis Police Department. But that seems, researcher Troy Hunt says, to be almost surely false. The email addresses and passwords displayed as evidence seem to come from older breaches and from such online resources as Have I Been Pwned. Civil unrest will certainly continue, however, to manifest itself in cyberspace through hacking, disinformation, doxing, and denial of service. Amtrak, the U.S. National Railroad Passenger Corporation, has disclosed a data breach that affects Amtrak guest rewards accounts. Bleeping Computer reports that Amtrak believes no financial data, credit card info, or social security numbers were compromised, and the railroad says that the incident was quickly contained. Last week, eBay was found port-scanning computers of users visiting their site. Bleeping Computer looked at other prominent sites and determined that eBay isn't alone. Citibank, TD Bank, Ameriprise, Chick-fil-A, LendUp, Beachbody, Equifax IQ Connect, TIAA Cref, Sky, Gumtree, and WePay are port scanning too. While the pandemic and its effects are far from over, its consequences for cybersecurity now seem clear enough for us to suggest some lessons we might draw from the experience. The first lesson is that improvisation under pressure is difficult. It's better to plan. We know, we know, that's a banal observation, but still, it's a useful one, we think. So if there's one overarching observation to be made about the pandemic and its effects on cybersecurity, it's that improvisation under pressure creates unexpected challenges, risks, and opportunities. We've seen that improvisation in organizations scramble to come up with ways of continuing to do business under conditions of lockdown and social isolation. We've also seen it in the need to protect the rapidly expanding attack surface remote work presents. The companies that provide the services and platforms necessary for remote work were also caught off guard. Zoom's very fast, very large success brought the company security and reputational problems it hadn't prepared itself to answer. We've also seen improvisation at national levels as public health authorities in many countries tried, with decidedly mixed results, to develop and deploy technologies that could trace contacts and monitor the spread of infection. 
the U.S. Cyberspace Solarium Commission argued that the principal lesson should be the value of preparedness, of sound advanced planning and swift effective execution in the moment of crisis. The Commission's co-chairs, Senator Angus King, Independent of Maine, and Representative Mike Gallagher, Republican, Wisconsin 8th, told the Washington Post they hope the U.S. Congress draws the lesson that it's important to prepare for a disaster before it hits. The commissioners intend to issue an appendix tomorrow, June 2nd. They hope gives Congress an after-action review of cybersecurity and the pandemic that will nudge lawmakers in the right direction. And that may represent an unexpected opportunity to avoid being caught short by failures to plan or simply by failures of imagination. The second lesson is that crises are opportunities for disinformation and for spontaneously arising misinformation. Both constructive disinformation, propaganda that seeks to convince, and disruptive disinformation, propaganda that seeks merely to confuse, were on display during the pandemic. The former is much more in the Chinese, the latter in the Russian style. Misinformation has also been common as the spontaneously generated looniness that saw 5G and its electromagnetic fields prompt cell tower vandalism and spawned a small industry of crank products designed to ward off infection with wearable Faraday cages. These have a life of their own, as resistant to rational correction as delusions about chemtrails. They also afford useful opportunities for disinformation campaigns, especially the disruptive kind. No one has any good ways of handling either disinformation or misinformation. Social media companies seem to have settled into some version of a marketplace of ideas to fight lies and delusions. It seemed unsatisfying, but it's hard to see how they could do much better, especially at the scales on which they operate. Third, crises force startups to grow up. Whatever insulation from business reality, plentiful venture capital, and easy exits may have provided, the pandemic-induced downturn forced more startups to start acting like businesses. It's been painful, but many startup businesses are now being run more like, well, businesses, or at least are in a position to see that that's the direction they'll have to move. And fourth, espionage doesn't stop for crisis. In fact, espionage likes crisis. Your crisis is the spy's opportunity, and the spies know it. Finally, to close with one more COVID-19-themed scam, the BBC ran a story last week about the 5G BioShield, which, for just £339, provides protection for your home and family thanks to the wearable holographic nanolayer catalyzer, which can be worn or placed near to a smartphone or any other electrical, radiation, or EMF-emitting device. The vendors even explain how it works. Through the process of quantum oscillation, the 5G BioShield USB key balances and reharmonizes the disturbing frequencies arising from the electric fog induced by devices such as laptops, cordless phones, Wi-Fi, tablets, etc. So, maybe treat that one with respectful skepticism as well. Although, who couldn't do with a little quantum oscillation nowadays? And I am pleased to be joined once again by the CyberWire's chief analyst, Rick Howard. Rick, always great to have you back. Thank you, sir. Uh, you are, um, you're covering an interesting topic on this week's CSO Perspectives, uh, your podcast over on CyberWire Pro. 
Uh, and you're talking about resilience and business continuity. Now, at first glance, in my mind, I would say there's a lot of crossover there, but there's more to this than meets the eye. Yeah, and there's a little bit of controversy, too, which I didn't realize until I was looking into it, which is kind of fun. Resilience, is, if you haven't heard, is the new buzzword for what people are trying to do in, in terms of keeping their organizations functional um, after some big cyber event. Now, it could be a hacker thing uh, like uh, the Sony stuff, or it could be just some sort of natural disaster, right? But the whole mantra is uh, make sure that you, whatever you build can withstand a crisis like that so you can continue delivering services. Hmm. And so when the business continuity people hear that, they say, hey, hey, wait a second. That's what we do, okay? Because <laughs> why do we need a newfangled marketing team for that uh, huh. um, or a name for that? And uh, it turns out that the business continuity people have been around since the 70s. I didn't even know that, hmm. right? Uh, but mostly uh, those folks have been dealing with physical issues, you know, like like I just said, natural disasters, earthquakes, force majeure kinds of things. Right. You know, executives dying, you know, that kind of stuff. Okay. Resilience uh, in the new digital age, especially so as we've gone to the cloud, is really uh, how do you make build infrastructure as code? Okay, is how I look at it. You know, how do you build systems of systems that can withstand giant catastrophes and you never notice Right. And so I think that's the big difference. I think the, the resilience people can learn from the business continuity people because they've had lots of experience and they know how to execute plans. Resilience is a fairly new idea. Uh, but uh, I think uh, there is a big separation there and the two groups can learn from each other. You know, I can't help thinking about uh, uh, industrial control systems and the IT people versus the OT people. I know. <laughs> it does have it does have a similar theme, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. You oh. know, in my <laughs> mind, too, when you talk about those things, it's not different. It's just a different protocol. How you protect all that stuff is you know, the same strategies apply. So uh, we all got to get on the same sheet of music here, I think. Yeah. How does it play out? Where, uh, where do you go with this uh, on your show? Well, what's interesting is if you look at a company like Netflix – Right. They have this famous uh, app that they call Chaos Monkey, and mm. it routinely destroys pieces of their customer-facing infrastructure on purpose, right, so that their uh, uh, DevOps people understand the value of resilience, right? And they're so good at it that I, I get to watch Witcher without any uh, service outage, even though I know they're having uh, giant outages all the time because they're so big. Because they design it to be within their system. Uh, they've done so well with that. They have all kinds of applications. They call the Simeon Army, you know, mm. Chaos Monkey and Security Monkey and blah, blah, blah. So I love that. All right. Um, but that's the difference between what maybe resilience is in the digital age and what business continuity is in the physical world. Yeah, that's fascinating. I suppose there's a lots of... Uh I don't know, practice like you play here where your rehearsals have to be realistic? Oh, yeah. And, uh, and when you know that you're, the code that you're writing is going to be attacked and destroyed, you know, before you even deploy it, okay, uh, you, you do some things to make sure that uh, customers won't notice. Yeah. All right. Well, check it out. It's the latest episode of CSO Perspectives over on CyberWire Pro. Rick Howard, as always, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. 
It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by David DeFore. He is the Vice President of Cybersecurity and Engineering at Webroot, an open text company. David, always great to have you back. Um, I I wanted to to check in with you and see what kind of scams you all are tracking as we find ourselves uh, in this ongoing situation with COVID-19. What sorts of things are on your radar? Hey, David. Always glad to be back. Um, Great being here. Thanks for having me. Um, You know, what's interesting if if a lot of folks can uh, kind of put their their marketing uh, hats on, you know, COVID is just another branding of, of all the scams we typically see: the phishing scams, the fake website scams, the the malware scams. And so, really, whatever's popular, that's what the malicious actors are really going to focus their tools in on. So, right now, seeing a ton of phishing, a ton of fake websites that that really are focusing on COVID and trying to draw people in. And how are they wrapping COVID around some of the the well-known popular scams? Are there any particular areas that they're focusing on? Yeah, so what we're really seeing a lot of folks doing, first of all, we're seeing 2% of all sites that have to do with coronavirus or COVID, 2% are malicious. So what people are doing is truly standing up sites that emulate or look like or have a look and feel of something to do with COVID in terms of do they want to donate? Uh, have you donate to the site? Or or they're trying to pass on information and have you click through things that could be clickbait that installs malware. So you've got to be really aware of what of, of what you're doing when you're navigating just on, on the web. And now the, we're seeing a lot of phishing scams as well. And David, you're very familiar with phishing scams. It happens yeah. all the time. And I know you're always calling me because you've infected your computer, or given somebody, uh, you know, your <laughs> credentials and you want to know what to do. Uh, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's absolutely true. 
<laughs> but no, seriously. I have you on speed dial. Yeah, you do, you do, and your IT people are always <laughs> calling me. David did it again. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but yeah. but in all seriousness, we're seeing a ton of phishing scams, emails going out there again. People trying to get you to uh, log into accounts uh, based on COVID or donate money based on COVID, and 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 a lot of these are 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 fake sites that are being stood up, and all the standard phishing and all the standard malware. Um, safety mechanisms apply here. Make sure that you know it's a reputable site. Don't click that link, David. Navigate to the website and enter, you know, that you're certain you're on the site you want to be on. You know, folks like the Red Cross, you know, large charities that you're very comfortable with, they're taking donations that focus on this as well. So maybe go to those trusted sites instead of these pop-up charities that are that are trying to just get money quickly, just so you're sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you've also been tracking uh, these folks taking advantage of using some of the apps that have gotten more popular uh, in the midst of all this services like Zoom. That's exactly right. So uh, we've seen a, a 2000 percent increase in, in malicious files that are being sent through Zoom. We've seen, uh, you know, when people are, 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 you know, bombing Zoom where they're trying to get in. And I don't want to just pick on Zoom. Zoom's done a really good job really quickly of putting tools in place to prevent and protect now, the thing is, you have to enable those tools, uh, things like uh, requiring people to um, have a password to get in or having people wait in kind of a virtual lobby and you let them in. But but a lot of again, what's happening is anytime something's popular and, and malicious actors see that they're going to jump on that wave and try to figure out ways to exploit it. So it's all about being vigilant. And, and we always talk about being vigilant, um, especially when it comes to COVID now, people's heart are involved and we're worried about our loved ones or other folks and we want to help. We just have to maintain that vigilance, not be jaded, but have a little bit of wariness when we're doing things in this time. Yeah. All right. Well, David DeFore, thanks for joining us. Great being here, David. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.